Thanks for tuning in today. You're listening to the official podcast of First Alliance Church in Great Falls, Montana, creating passionate followers of Christ. Today's message is from one of our elders. Good morning. Thank you for being here with us at First Alliance today, and welcome to those of you joining us on the live stream or podcast. I'd like to begin by asking you a question. How valuable is your memory? There are times when I would be tempted to answer, answer not worth a plug nickel. I think it's likely some of you answered quickly, and some of you are still thinking about how to answer. For most of us, there are plenty or at least enough happy memories of people, places, or events that we rightly cherish and want to hold on to for the rest of our lives. At Christmas, some of my family's favorite memories include looking at Christmas lights around the city or, for Sue and myself, watching our children opening gifts. Of course, not everything goes according to plan. In 2005, Sue uh, bought empty scrapbooks for Carson and Carrie and wrote their names on them and added Walt Disney World Vacation. We thought they'd go bonkers when they opened the box, but instead, nothing. Crickets. We thought we'd be so cool by not directly telling them we were going to Disney World and instead letting them figure it out. Man, did we overthink that. (laughs) For most of us, some memories are so awkward or too full of disappointment or just downright painful that we would just as soon forget them. So we do just that, or at least we try. Today, I'd like to look at the rewards of remembrance and the fate of forgetfulness. Again, I'm entirely too in love with alliteration. By the way, Pastor John has entitled our sermon series this Christmas season, Characters of Christmas. And while I'll be sharing stories of several biblical characters, I really want to talk about the quality and character of remembrance. We'll be looking primarily at the events recorded by Luke in chapter 1 of his gospel. This chapter provides the all-important backdrop to the Christmas story. Many of you are probably familiar with the major characters in Luke's narrative. Zacharias, the priest, Elizabeth, his wife, who was also from a priestly family, and of course Mary, the soon-to-be mother of the Lord Jesus. There is, however, one more player, a messenger, or more specifically God's messenger, the angel Gabriel. Along with Michael the archangel, He is the only other faithful angel to be given a name in all of Scripture. Gabriel is one of the common links between the humans in this story, sewing together their separate stories with the threads of remembrance. Many scholars believe Luke's gospel was written around 60 AD. If this date is correct, Luke begins by looking back about 60 years with the phrase, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. In verse 6, Luke also points out that Zacharias and Elizabeth were both righteous in the sight of God and that they had no children and both were advanced in years. Luke chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. 
Now it came about while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw him, and fear gripped him. Pastor and author Alexander McLaren notes that Gabriel, quote, was not seen in the act of coming, but was suddenly made visible standing by the altar, as if he had been stationed there before. And what happened was not that he came, but Zacharias' eyes were opened, end quote. I don't know about you, but I'm with Zacharias. I'd be freaked out too. I believe our ability to see, not with our eyes, but spiritually, when we don't do that, that is, that inability is a great incubator for our doubts and our fears. It causes us to forget what God can do and what he calls us to do. We forget that when he calls, he equips Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias. Your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. Evidently, Zacharias and Elizabeth had been consistent in their prayers to have a child. That strong desire caused them to remember to pray. Why was God seemingly content to not answer their prayer? Have you ever wondered if God was content in not answering your prayers? Or have you mistaken a delay by God to be indifference or forgetfulness? Two years ago, Pastor Tim preached during the Christmas season and used a poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow as an example. I heard the bells on Christmas Day includes these lines. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And apparently, God's timing is often not our timing. However, sometimes, the longer the wait, the sweeter the victory. In 1994, I was watching Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals, with the Vancouver Canucks playing the New York Rangers in Madison Square Garden. The Rangers had not won the Stanley Cup since 1940. When they outlasted Vancouver 3-2 to take the series, win the Cup, and finally put to rest 54 years of failure and frustration, TV cameras caught an older fan holding up a sign in the middle of the mayhem. The sign said, Now I can die in peace. Believe me, as a Minnesota Vikings fan, I can relate. <laughs> Thankfully, nobody died when God decided the time was perfect to fulfill Zacharias and Elizabeth's prayers. And what's more, it was chock full of blessings. Verses 14 through 17. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah 
to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. As to John the Baptist's mission, Gabriel twice used the words, turn back, to describe many people in Israel. If they needed to turn back to the Lord, it is because they had not remembered the Lord their God, nor his promises, nor his deliverances, nor his loving kindness. They had not remembered, they had forgotten. The act of remembering is not passive, but active. It requires intent. But forgetting can be either active or passive. We choose to forget because of pain, embarrassment, or even laziness, or we just get too busy for our own good. Doesn't this sound like a common predicament for nearly every human being? We are understandably a wayward and forgetful people, and we give in too easily to our doubts. Verse 18, And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. You know you can tell that Zacharias has been married a long time. He flat out tells Gabriel that he is old, but Elizabeth is advanced in years. <laughs> well played, Zacharias, but not well played enough. He let his doubt get the best of him. Every word, every action, indeed every inaction, has a consequence. Consequences need not always be unpleasant, but this one was. Verse 19, And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which shall be fulfilled in their proper time. Gabriel came to bring good news, and he did. But he also had to announce God's judgment because Zacharias had doubted God. He doubted because he had forgotten. What God promises, God delivers, without fail and without exception. The ability to remember is among the greatest gifts that God has given to us, especially when our remembrance is focused back on the giver of that gift. Let me read portions of Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and bless all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Moving down to verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. In the events leading up to the birth of Christ, Luke's account temporarily goes away from Zacharias, while Gabriel makes his second appearance in the New Testament 
this time to a young girl who will become the mother of Jesus, Mary. Two weeks ago, Pastor John shared the, uh, of Mary and her awesome testimony of faith. I won't try to cover the same ground, but I do want to point out a couple of things. This was Mary's reaction to Gabriel's announcement that God had chosen her to give birth to Jesus. Verse 34, And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? It appears, at least on the surface, that Mary's reaction is nearly the same as that of Zacharias, after Gabriel announced that Elizabeth would become pregnant with John the Baptist. But whereas Zacharias expressed a lack of trust in God's ability to make this happen, Mary's words reveal wonderment and an astonished attitude that God would choose her, an insignificant girl from an insignificant town, for one of the most important roles in the history of mankind. That the mindsets of Zacharias and Mary were clearly different is confirmed by Elizabeth in verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Mary was commended for remembering that God can. Zacharias was chastised for doubting that God could. Elizabeth's declaration of Mary's faith is followed by Mary's beautiful hymn of praise in verses 46 to 55 often called the Magnificat, so named for the first word of its Latin translation, her song is full of remembrance and thanksgiving. Verse 48, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. Verses 49 and 50, Mary reminds us that God is mighty, his name is holy, and his mercy is upon those who fear him. Verses 52 and 53, he has exalted those who are humble and filled the hungry with good things. Verse 54, he has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. Have you taken time recently to remember? To remember God and his goodness? To remember his holiness? To remember all the ways the Lord has shown mercy to you and to others? Or thank him for the reminders he gives to stop and remember him? When I lost my job nine years ago, I found out how much work looking for work can be. At about the six-week mark of being unemployed, I had to make a trip to a place that was near the mall. After my appointment, I drove across the street to the mall. I was expecting a call back about a position that I had applied for, but didn't want to get caught driving if the call came in, so I just parked there. I sat and thought, and prayed silently. When I was done, I thought that just waiting for a phone call in my car was kind of dumb, so I headed home. But before I put the car in gear, I blurted out a prayer, out loud. I said, God, don't let me forget this. What kind of oddball prayer is that? Well, I like to think that God gives humble prayers to the humble and oddball prayers to the oddballs. Seriously, I believe that God gave me that prayer. From my troubled heart and burdened soul, those words just welled up and gushed out in a way that I never saw coming. God, 
Don't let me forget this. Romans 8.26 says, And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. There's another part to my story. A couple of days before this happened, I was driving home at night, and I stopped at the light at 14th Street and 10th Avenue South. There was another car in line ahead of me. The driver's door opened, and a woman got out, walked past the sidewalk, and tossed something onto the grass. I tried to figure out what was going on, hoping that the light would not turn green right away. If she was going to litter, why go to all that trouble? Then I saw something move. It was a homeless person sleeping in the grass. She was giving him money. And that part helps give context to God, don't let me forget this. I have treated people who were homeless or had substance abuse problems or trouble with the law or who were out of work as if they were invisible, like they were non-entities. And now I was feeling the sting of not fitting in with society because I no longer had a job. Let me share with you, even believers are not exempt from the law of sowing and reaping. My attitudes were not Christ-like. In order to change, I had to remember. And to help me remember, I'm convinced the Lord caused me to pray out loud so that I could hear my own words. God, don't let me forget this. This remembrance was painful but necessary for it led me to repent. Ultimately, it was a blessing as it changed my perspective and my heart. At the end of chapter 1, Luke returns to the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth and the birth of their son, John, who will become John the Baptist. When it comes time to name the child, Elizabeth says, just like Gabriel told her husband, he shall be called John. The relatives and neighbors who were there started arguing with her. There's nobody in your family with that name. I bet most of you have someone in your family like that. You just don't talk about them. <laughs> so they asked Zacharias, who had been mute for the last nine months or so, and he wrote down his name is John. Verse 64, and at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. Let he who doubts doubt no more. It's been said often and by many that God works in mysterious ways. The rebuke of being made mute also came with a gift of mercy, time, the time to remember. Or to paraphrase write, uh, commentary writer Matthew Henry, when you can't speak, you have more time to think. To think and to remember who is holy 
and who is not? Who is perfect and who is not? Who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and capable of doing anything that does not violate his character? And who is frail, feeble, and finite? And so, Zacharias thought. And when the Lord gave him back his voice, he had a lot to say. The scripture says that Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Because of the words of Zacharias are as eloquent and powerful as Mary's Magnificat, I want to read this passage in its entirety. Verses 68 through 79. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us, visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. By the way, this fear is not the fear of the Lord, which is a good thing, but rather, as John Calvin noted, a mindset of uncertainty or lack of faith that fluctuates between hope and fear. Those who have this, Calvin says, never will sincerely or honestly obey him. This type of fear is bad because it keeps us from God. Continuing on again at verse 75. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways. To give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. To shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. That last phrase, the way of peace, brings us to the last but best remembrance of today's message, Jesus. You'd think it'd be easy to remember Jesus this time of year. After all, his title of Christ is two-thirds of the word Christmas. But our attention to the Messiah becomes divided and diffuse, drawn away by colored lights and pretty packages holiday parties, and yes, ugly sweaters. Worrying about what to buy for whom, and overspending. Or in the words of Yogi Orgeson, oh, I just go nuts at Christmas. So we forget Jesus. But it's not the only way that we don't remember him. Sometimes we remember him as a tiny baby and forget he's the creator of the universe. We think of him as helpless, not in control of anything, and we forget that he alone is sovereign. We remember him as loved and embraced and forget that he was scorned and rejected and, by some, still is. If at Christmas we have only fleeting thoughts of a baby in a manger and forget Jesus as the Savior, have we really celebrated his birth? If, at Christmas, 
we find ourselves squeezed into the world's mold of what Christmas should look like, sound like, or even smell like, have we really worshipped the Lord? If at Christmas we think that Jesus was only born to live as our example and forget that he was born to die for our sins, we create for ourselves a skewed and limited picture of who Jesus really is. This warped view almost always leads to forgetting the things Christ calls us to do. Luke 9.23, And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come uh, after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Instead, this Christmas, let us remember and cling tightly to an accurate, more complete understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and Messiah. The Apostle Paul gives us that more accurate description in Colossians, the first chapter, starting at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated, and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. What Jesus for done, has done for us, given us salvation and a way to be right with the Father, and yes, peace, is a gift we should accept. Who Jesus is, Savior and Lord of all, is a gift to always remember. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are holy, and holy is your name. Thank you for the gift of remembrance, for good memories, and even the memories that are painful, if they bring our thinking back to you. Help us not to doubt, but to be bold and faithful like Gabriel, able to learn from our mistakes like Zacharias, trusting and thankful like Mary and Elizabeth, and to give grace to others as Jesus has given to us. It's in the magnificent name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. We hope you are blessed by the message today. Follow us on social media to keep up to date with church news and events.